God cares more about your soul than he does the church, than he does how many people show up on Sunday. God's deep commitment is to you, not just an organization or a structure, but to you. Welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Pastor. It's good to see you, Doug. It's good to see you too, JR. So you and I have this phrase that we've used over the last several years uh, called uh, uh, the beer, the, the bread truck test or the beer truck um, test. If you're Presbyterian, so, it's the beer or truck. Or Episcopalian, or, I guess. Right, yeah. So <laughs> not, not for our Nazarene or Baptist friends or anything like that. So that's where we use the bread truck bread test. Truck. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what is the bread truck test. Yeah, so the bread truck test is what would happen to your church if you were walking across the street and got hit by hit and killed by a bread truck on any given day. Super gruesome. Right. It's kind of morbid, but it's actually also a, a pretty amazing litmus test to understand where your church is and how you're doing in terms of being a pastor who is equipping others to to take on ministry. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that with our elders, right? And and God forbid, let's hope it doesn't happen. And if that happened, uh, we hopefully we would mourn. You know, people would mourn At least our for loss. a day or two. I would hope so. <laughs> we would hope so, right? But then to say, you know, would 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 uh, the people in our church say, "Oh no, we don't know what to do. We depended everything that this church depended upon was because we depended upon our pastor." Mm. Uh, and so would our church fall apart because of it? Or would people say, oh, we will miss them. We need to step up, but we've already been equipped and empowered and given permission to lead already. Now we just need to lead and lean even further into that calling. And my sense is that a lot of us who have been classically trained as pastors or kingdom leaders have not necessarily thought in these terms. And so some of you may be thinking, oh my gosh, this is so scary because if I die, the church is going to die. And to realize it's okay. Don't let fear overrun, but even just begin to think through who are people that I can begin to show and equip and empower that can do some of the stuff that I do. And even realizing that as this beautiful gift to your church because you're now spreading out the pressure. And and I think too, even realizing when you hear that analogy, do you sense anxiety raise yeah, or do good. you sense, do you sense maybe relief? Like, you know what, if I get at, I mean, there are honestly times when I think to myself, if I get hit by a, a beer truck, our church is going to be healthy because there are 15 people way better to do than what I uh, do. And I'm glad I get a chance to quarterback that, but I know that God will still be good and faithful because we've done the right work of equipping people well. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked with pastors, Doug, I mean, some are freaked out by that, right? Yes. Because in some ways their identity has been tied into the fact that they're needed. Mm. So I want people to need me. I don't want to have to get out of the way. And number two, it's, they think about it too late. So I think one of the reasons why this works um, at our church is because we started talking about this years ago right. in theory. And so, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm, I've taken a call elsewhere and I'm going to transition or I, I, you know, I'm not going to be at this church anymore. And it's just traumatic in that transition because they've thought about it too late. They've given it a couple of weeks or a couple of months notice, but we have to start thinking years in advance about what does that look like in terms of a bread truck conversation in terms of the test. And it may be that, wow, we do really well in these few areas, but we're really vulnerable yes. in these areas and we'd really suffer. And so sometimes we say, well, then we need to invest our attention more in those vulnerable areas yes. and improve those. So yeah, it's <laughs> gruesome, but I, Gosh, I, well, and so I, important. And I think too, it really helps. It helps take the pressure off of the pastor to be the yes. only holder of the keys of the culture. Yes. And love I love it. I think about coming into a brand new, you know, some people listening might actually be in the midst of transitioning to a new church and there's already established culture mm. and you're coming in and trying to figure out how do I, how do I reestablish it? What, what worked, what didn't work. And, and some, some traditions actually the entire staff hands in a letter of recognition, yeah. resignation. Yeah. And that's the, that's healthy because because the yeah. culture might have been so bad mm. that there needs to be a reset button. But even thinking, Jesus didn't hold the keys to the kingdom all that long, but yeah. he continued to hand things away to these 12 <laughs> people who weren't all that uh, equipped in terms of with the great degrees, yeah. but had this deep passion and longing to follow Jesus. Yeah, it was. I think that where it really clicked for me was Andy Stanley. And he, he basically said... Uh, 
you will transition in ministry. You will either mm. retire in 50 years, mm. you'll die, you'll be called elsewhere, you'll be fired. And so he said, we have to start thinking through our succession plan long before we ever think that we'll be in a succession plan ourselves. And so if we, if we only think about our succession plan when we're transitioning, it's way too late. And so how can we start thinking like you will be replaced, mm. you know, you're irreplaceable, but you're very replaceable at the same time. Yeah. And so we just have to be thinking through what, what does that look like now, even though it may not happen for a few decades, but that's the best gift that we can do is, yeah, I think he said, if I remember right, our job as pastors is to work ourselves out of a job. And it doesn't mean we become unemployed. It could mean though that, you know, as Eugene Peterson says, a lazy pastor is, or busy pastor is a lazy lazy pastor. pastor. Mm. And so part of it means equipping now, which is a lot of time on the front end. But then when people are equipped to do things, then you look around and say, I can just be more present. I can pray. I can be attentive to the people God's entrusted to me because all these other people have been empowered to go do that. Now, I'm not trying to make it sound simple. This could be a whole episode or several that we do together on how do we create an equipping culture. But that's really important is that we pass the bread truck test. We're grateful to have on the show with us today, Drew Jackson. He's a New Jersey native who studied political science out at the University of Chicago. He went on to gain his Master's of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And during his seminary years, Drew worked as a full-time staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the greater LA area. Currently, Drew serves as pastor of Hope East Village, a new church plant within the Hope Church New York City family, which launched in March 2018. He is also the co-founder and executive director of Tribe, an organization whose mission is to resource and train local churches and the next generation to confront racially unjust systems and to seek reconciliation through the lens of the gospel. He is blessed to share his life with his wife and his two daughters. We hope you enjoy this great interview with our friend, Drew Jackson. Well, uh, we're really excited to have uh, Drew with us today. And um, Drew, just grateful for the things that you're doing up in New York City and uh, grateful that you're on the show with us this morning. So thanks again for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So tell us about your Mondays. What are they like for you? Mondays. Mondays are typically my Sabbath. Um, Mm. Those are the days that I've marked off as day of a day of rest. And um, I know for for some pastors, you know, you take different days um, depending on your your wiring. Um, Some, you know, some pastors like to take Fridays and sort of go into the weekend Sabbath up. Uh, (laughs) And uh, but for me, Mondays are important. And, and part of that is because I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. I've discovered that I'm a, an Enneagram three mm. and which I mean, really just means that I am so, I'm so tied to my performance, mm. <laughs> you know, um, and to what people say about my performance, <laughs> you know, how they receive it, how they don't. And, and so it's so easy to come into a Monday, whether, whether, in my mind, you know, I killed it on Sunday. Things went well. Sermon landed well and people loved it. Uh, it's easy for me on a Monday to live in the, in the world of affirmation and you try and feed on that. Um, or if the opposite is true and, you know, Sunday, I feel like didn't go so well to sort of spiral into the shame of, I wasn't enough. I didn't do enough. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't up to the task. And so Mondays have been really important for me just to create that space of um, rest and of getting, getting away, creating spaces of solitude. It's been really, I think that's Mondays are the days when I remind myself where I need to be reminded of who I am, that God is just inviting me to be present with him, Mm -hmm. you know, present to the presence of God Mm. and hear the words of love and acceptance spoken over me again, that are separate from anything that I could do. Mm. You know, um, Mm. I need that. Yeah. Yeah. I need to sit under that. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's why I think Mondays are tough because sometimes it's, it's like, I, I wish I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that every Monday, ah, oh man, I'm just reminded of God's presence and I'm just, <laughs> Sabbath is beautiful, but sometimes Mondays are like, you know what, God, I just want to wallow. Yep. Yeah. In my stuff. Yeah. I want to sit here. I want to, I want to let myself go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and for me, I like, like when I'm, when I'm not doing well, when I'm in a place of unhealth, I, I retreat from everything. Emotionally, I, I'll retreat. I won't deal with anything that's going on internally. Um, run away. And there's a difference between running away and sitting in solitude. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the difference. How do you know in your own spirit when it's healthy solitude versus unhealthy? What, what are, what are the ways, you know, oops, I think I've just tipped into unhealthy running away instead of solitude, healthy. Um, well, I think it's, it's tied up in sort of what I hinted at, which is, um, solitude. Solitude is all about being present Mm. to the presence of God. Running away is checking out of presence. Yeah. It's That's checking good. out of being even present to what's going on emotionally for me. Mm. Like I don't want to I don't want to confront it. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to tune out. I want to numb it out by whatever, whatever means by sitting here and and you know, watching sports shows all day or <laughs> whatever it is. It's like I just don't want to I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my that's a signal for me mm-hmm. that like okay, there's probably some things I need to be attentive to right mm. now. That's um, good. So yeah, I think there's a big difference. Yeah. One pastor I talked to, he talked about for him, it was the language of there's the difference between stepping away and running away. Yes. He said, I need to step away from my church for a while. And he's an introvert. So he said, I need to step away from people because that's healthy for me to then recoup <laughs> and recover and be refreshed. But he said, running away is a totally different thing for me. It's escapism is how he put it. So anyway, that was good language for me to think about step away versus run away. You know, just step off the platform, check yourself out of the game. I just need to get some water, get a towel, catch my breath to be checked back in as opposed to I'm heading to the locker room. Yeah. (laughs) I'm taking a shower. I'm done. And uh, anyway, that was helpful for me that, that language he had used. And, and it sounds a lot like, you know, when you step away versus when you are running away (laughs) in your spirit. Yeah. 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 So Drew, what are some of the practical, um, things that you do, uh, as you practice Sabbath? Sometimes it is getting, getting away, like physically out of the city, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to create some space just to, like, you know, being in Manhattan, everything's always going. Yeah. Now, where do you go when you, st- is that like an hour away? Is that an airplane ride? Is it a park you find just outside city limits? Yeah. So, um, you know, actually it's funny. I I can't do this. I can't do this all the time, but one of the places that has been a quiet place for me away outside of the city has been, so my wife's, my wife's parents live in the Lehigh Valley area. And, uh, when I can get down here, there's a place that's just actually around the corner from where they live. That is a, a Franciscan friary. And, it's sort of tucked back, like not many people know it's there, but it's just open to anybody who wants to come. Mm. And so I will go and it is the quietest place on earth when I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, so just going there and being, just being there, being, you know, it's sort of, it's the space where outdoors they have lined up the stations of the cross that you can uh-huh. just experience but it's also surrounded by trees Mm. and it's just like it's a it's a space where i can get away and just take a breath yeah you know um because i think in when you're in the city you don't even realize it but just the constant hum of noise that's just (sighs) there Mm. Mm. you sort of get used to it (laughs) but um when you step out of it you're like oh this is what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you can't leave the city, I mean, you were mentioning Doug and I are in an earlier conversation. You like to go down to the East river 
walk along the river when the weather's nice. And I've, I've walked along the East River in January. It is not nice and that is not refreshing. <laughs> so I, I get, I get that. Talk a little bit about like what you're doing along the East River and what, why is that a helpful place of, uh, of relaxing for you, especially on a Monday? Yeah, I, I love to go down there and just sometimes I'll walk. Sometimes I'll just sit on um, one of the benches and look out. You know, it's it, to me, the solitude is not it's not just being alone. It's it's what are the, the practices that I bring into that space mm. with me? One of them, you know, so in addition to, re, you know, reading or journaling, um, one of the big ones for me has been practicing centering, centering prayer. Mm. which has uh, just, uh, you know, just taking a, an amount of time, 10 minutes, 20, 20 minutes of just silence, mm. stillness. Um, not, it, it's, it's prayer without words is what it mm. is. Mm. It's, and I'm not, and, and not even, not even prayer where I'm coming in and saying, God, I need you to speak something. There's no expectation of God. I need you to speak. There's just a, I, I just want to be with you um, and sit here. And when you sit in that place, you're going to inevitably experience all sorts of thoughts that come up, um, which is actually part of, part of the discipline of that prayer is you recognize as soon as you sit in silence, all the stuff that comes to the surface. The goal of that, of a discipline like that is not to fixate on the stuff that comes up, but it's to say, how do I not grab a hold of all the stuff Yeah, and allow that to draw me away from the presence of God, Yeah, but to just be present. And, um, you know, I once heard an analogy, someone was talking about trying to describe centering prayer and they were saying, it's like, imagine yourself sitting along the bank of a river and <laughs> as you're sitting there, you know, all of your thoughts are like all of the, the boats that sail by on the river. Don't get fixated on the boat as it sails by and watch it go down the river. Mm-hmm. You let it pass. Mm-hmm. You just let it pass mm-hmm. and you be present, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that, that practice for me has been really, really important because what it does is also it shows up. The fruit of it is not necessarily you know, I'm coming away with this great profound in- insight of what God is speaking, but the fruit of it actually shows up in your day-to-day life and in your relationships. Yeah. You know, when I'm able to, you know, be present, be present to my daughters who are right in front of me and not be trying to sit with them, but be thinking about my sermon over here or yeah. thinking about this email that I just got or thinking about this. It's like, how can I just be here right now? came from a church where you were uh, on staff uh, in a unique situation in, in the Allentown area. And now that you're church planting in New York, how has that been different in terms of the, the lies and just what you've been doing and um, you know, like what, what's, what's encouraged you, what's depleted you about being a church planter opposed to being on staff? When you're, when you're on staff, and you're part of something that's like, you're not the lead planter or this, you know, you feel like there's sort of a, a shared ownership and whether this is, whether this is healthy or unhealthy, I would argue that the feeling of it all stops with me is unhealthy, but Mm -hmm. there's a, I think there's a way you carry that when you're a church planner in Manhattan, especially with all of the pressures of like, you know, everybody, everybody's sort of telling you, you gotta, you gotta hit these marks by this time and you should be here. You should be. And, and Mm. that all comes to me. Right. So, um, so I think just that, that, that pressure is different. It feels different. Um, and yeah, I don't know, just the, the way, the way that I try and carry that, it feels, it feels very different than, just when I'm on, on the pastoral staff, as opposed to being the lead pastor. Yeah. Take us through some of the process. I know there's uh, my, my sense is 
with the folks that are listening, there might be some people who are thinking about transitions from what they're currently doing in pastoral ministry to something different like church planning. How, how did you enter into that discernment process? What did that look like for you in a healthy way? When we came to our the church that we were at before planting, we knew we knew coming in, we had a sense that we were here for a season and that church planning was something that God had put on our hearts for some time and that had been affirmed by others, just mentors and others who had known, known me had known us. And so when it came time for us to, to even just be open to God, what is it that you're moving us toward next? For us, it, it was a real discernment process of, because there were, there were about six or seven things that immediately came my way as to taking a pastoral position in LA or Baltimore or church mm-hmm. planting in there or this place. And so for, for my wife, Janae and I, it was really this time where we had to enter into a deep place of prayer to say, mm-hmm. Lord, what is it that you are calling us to right now? Like mm-hmm. what, you know, and um, when the New York option came on the table for us to church plant uh, in New York, the, one of the first things that, we started to ask ourselves was Lord, who, who are you, who are you sending us to and who are you sending us with? Because we're not doing this alone. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't do this alone. So when we, when we got connected to the hope church network in New York, um, we really just had a, a, a sense of we can belong here. And one of the, the, the primary values of that network is the emotional health of pastors and planters. And mm. so when that was mm. a, uh, when we saw that as a value, um, we were like, okay, this, this is something that over the past several years, we have discovered matters very deeply. Mm. Um, and so we want to be a part of a, a network and a family that is going to not only value this, but is going to, to ensure that, that we are, we're moving in this direction, that as we're planting, the goal is not, Hey, just plant this church and make it quote unquote successful. Mm. But are you healthy? Yeah. How's your soul? How's your family? How's your marriage? So having those people around us um, was something that for us was a green light. One of Mm. the green lights that God was giving us. Yeah. Um, Good. When we, when we started to move in that direction, there were some other people that God had us ask, are you, will you, will you come with us? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's always, a, I mean, it's always a crazy thing to ask somebody to come and engage in the work of church planting with them. <laughs> but when you're asking uh, a family of five, you know, a couple has three children to uproot their lives and move to Manhattan, it's even <laughs> And so when we, when we asked them though, God had already been doing something in them where for years they had a sense that eventually they were going to be moving to New York city. And, um, they thought it was, they thought it would be when they were empty nesters. Um, but as soon as we asked them, they felt like this is the spirit is moving in this. We need to lean in. Mm. So to see, even to see those pieces coming together, of like, okay, God, you're bringing the people, you're putting the community around us. Um, the financial door, because it's, it, I mean, uh, it's a huge financial commitment <laughs> to plant a church in Manhattan. It's like, and so for that door to open up and for the training to open up and be provided, like there were so many things that God was just opening the door to say, um, this is it, go in this direction. Mm. And, um, and, we, and as we started to spend time more time in the city, in the neighborhood of the East Village, which is where we're at. God just began to knit our hearts to that place, mm-hmm. give us a deep love, um, and break our hearts for the place at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think all of those different things and, and continuing to have mentors speak into this process, um, we felt as we discerned together that this was the direction and the time that we should do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you've, you've talked, Drew, about a support structure you have. You have mentors. You talked about hope being a network for you where they cared about your health. What about, what would you say for those pastors who don't have any sort of support structure, who aren't a part of a network, or maybe they're a part of a denomination or a network where 
man, it's all about the numbers and they don't really care about your soul. <laughs> you know, what are some ways that, um, what would you say to them? Number one. And then number two, what are ways that you cultivate that? You talked about Sabbath, but what are some other ways that you cultivate that personally to make sure you're healthy that maybe nobody's asking you that of you? Maybe that's not on your job description or your leaders or elders aren't asking or your network isn't asking, but what are you doing just to keep your heart engaged so that you don't burn out? I mean, I would say to, to, to pastors who are there, I mean, I, I, I can speak, I can speak from knowing what that's like from having been in a place um, where you don't feel like many people are asking you that question where you don't have a, an outside sort of support structure or, and it is, it can feel like a very lonely place at times. Um, and I think one of the dangers is you can start to, you can start to dwell on the question or the, the sort of, the sort of mindset that no one cares about my soul. No Uh one cares about Uh uh, what's going on with me. And that can become a spiral where you just go down into that hole uh, and you get lost in there. And so I would say one, just, just the deep, like, being rooted in the deep truth that God cares, God cares more about your soul than he does the church. Mm. Than he does, mm. than he does how many people show up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like it, God's deep commitment is to you. Mm. Right? Um, not just an organization or a structure, but to you. And so just to know and to be reminded and to sit in that and to let, to let those words wash over you um, constantly. I think whether this church is a success in the eyes of people, whether the numbers grow or whether it doesn't, like God's commitment to me never changes. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm still embraced and loved and accepted. And the words, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and mm-hmm. you, I'm well, with you, I'm well pleased. Like, I just think those, those words and letting those things sink deep into your heart are so mm-hmm. important. And um, the practice of Sabbath is, for me, has become primarily about sitting under those words constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, Sabbath has been a, just a huge gift for me when I've begun to build that in and, and understand, like, this isn't, you know, this is a gift that God has given us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, not a burden to, I have to do this, but um, a gift to enjoy and to remember who we are and whose mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I would say too, also like, if you haven't, if you haven't been intentional about trying to seek it out, like seek out those relationships mm-hmm. and seek out mm-hmm. those people, think about that. Uh, huh. Think about, who, who I can bring in to this inner circle. Mm. Um, and, uh, just begin to be open and vulnerable with so that I don't have to carry all of this by myself because, you know, as a, as a pastor, you often feel like the people, the people that I, that I'm pastoring, like, I can't let them in on all of this, like, Mm, you know, so you have to have a space where you can, where, you're not, we're not meant to carry this alone, mm. you know? Um, so I just, I do think it's really important to, to think about, are there people, maybe it's just one other person that you can think of. Maybe it's two or three, uh, that you can begin to let in and walk with. And, um, you know, that their prime, their primary concern is you and not the church and everything that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the blessing of a mentor and mentors and community that is willing to care for your soul is really lacking, I think for a lot of us because we feel like oh, that's just one other thing to do. Do I really have the time for it? But I love how you're speaking from the perspective of no, you actually need to make time for that because yeah, it's hard. A lot of people don't check in on those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but I think even in that, it's a very vulnerable space to have a mentor and people speak in. So can you can you speak to any really hard conversations that mentors have had with you and how that shaped you and maybe the posture of your heart uh, as you listen well when people have things that might be that it might be hard for you to hear? Yeah, because I am. I'm a person that 
I, I, I don't, I don't tend to like conflict. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to like hard conversations. Um, those are things that I like to run away from. Um, and, and that included within that would be sort of constructive feedback. Right. I, I love affirmation. <laughs> I love aff- Sometimes those are air quotes. Yeah. Constructive <laughs> feedback. This is, uh, it's brothers because I love you, yeah. but you're an idiot and your preaching is terrible. No, uh, uh, ouch. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, you know, I've had those, I've had conversations. I remember um, even just early on in, in the church planning in this, you know, over the past year and a half, um, one of, one of my mentors, one of my coaches that was, I was having a conversation with, um, I was telling him about some things that, that we were doing and that I was, that I was doing. Um, and, you know, I was, I had been getting some opportunities to speak at some different places and to go and do some different things. And, um, he spoke into that and just, and just said, but how are you doing? Like, I don't, I don't care about that. Mm. how are you doing and you know and even just reminding me that like after after you know you're caring for and walking with your family the primary thing that God's put in your life right now is Hopi's village Mm. and you're a person that can so easily get pulled to this thing and that thing and that thing how are you not getting lost in it all? Uh, mm. So as an Enneagram three who <laughs> wants to achieve, is that kind of where he was trying to, he was trying to, to scratch? Get at, he was trying to get at the need to achieve the need yeah. to be, yeah. to, to make the show about me. Yeah. Interesting. Know? And, um, those are hard conversations because mm-hmm. they're, they're yes. like, you're confronted with things that you don't want to hear about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, even even the even the the hard conversations that I have to have with my wife, right? When she when she'll speak in and be honest about, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. Let's be honest with each other. Don't feel like you've been being fully present. For mm-hmm. me, I, I, and because because see the 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 underlying lie for an Enneagram three is people love you because of how you can perform Uh, because of what you bring to the table Mm -hmm. because of what you do. And so when I have a conversation with like my wife, that's, that's, you know, I don't feel like you've been being fully present or something along those lines. My immediate, my immediate response is what do I have to do to then, to then being, being (laughs) good, being the good, right? Absolutely. How how can I jump to the next performance? If you will. Mm. And I think it's been in those spaces where God has just been ministering to me um, and just saying, stop, mm. Mm. stop, stop thinking about what you have to do. Sit with, sit with the word that was spoken to you. Don't mm. run from it mm. and just, and just, and just allow it to be for a second. And yeah. I think that's a scary place. Huh. And I realized that even, even the, the impulse to just do, mm is uh often a mechanism of retreat for me to wow. not deal with what's happening wow. actually underneath the surface interesting so whenever whenever my uh mentors can are speaking to that i think those <laughs> are the things that are hardest for me because i know it's yeah. true <laughs> yeah Absolutely. sure i mean when you talk about that i i think about the rich young ruler Mm. And I mean, I don't know, and I don't want to take this too far, but I often think the rich young ruler is a three on the Enneagram <laughs> because not only has he accomplished a lot, he's, he's rich, he's young and he's a ruler. I mean, that's like the ideal thing in the first century, right? Yeah. But then what does he ask Jesus? What must I do mm. to have eternal life? Right. And Jesus is like, Oh, you want to be about an accomplishing thing here, huh? Oh, here's what you're going to do. All that stuff you accomplished, you're going to give it all away. Yep. Then you can come follow me. <laughs> And I'm like, whoa. So anyway, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've always thought the rich young ruler is a three. <laughs> right? What do I have to do? Nothing. Oh, you want to do something? Give it all away. <laughs> Give it and all empty away. yourself and, and go back, you know, quote unquote, backtrack right. of all of those things that you've accomplished and then come follow me. Then I'll know you're in it for the right reason. And I'm not a three, but I just look at that and I'm like, man, if I'm a three, that story just hits me between the eyes. 
<laughs> so, wow. Yeah. What are what are some of those, whether it's in New York, whether it's being a church planner or just a pastor in general, what are some of the lies you're tempted to believe? I mean, you talk about the Sunday scorecard right. and you're trying to assess that on a Monday. That may be some of it, but what are some of the lies that you're tempted to believe that pop up with some frequency or regularity as a pastor? The lie that I can't fail. Huh. That that I that I'm not there's no room for for me to mess up mm. Um, mm. because if I mess up then either everyone's gonna leave or mm. they're gonna think a certain thing about me or this whole thing's gonna fall apart so I can't mess up mm. you know mm. or you know people have invested so much in me to mm. to be able to to plant to you know plant here and so it's like I can't mess up because I can't let them down. Uh, uh. You know? uh, so just, I think one, one big one for me is uh, just the, the failure thing. Like yeah. there's no room for it. And um, another, another one is that I guess I would put in the, in, in the language of I'm not, I'm actually not cut out for this. Mm. You know, I shouldn't be here. And eventually people are going to find out that I'm just, I'm just a fraud of a leader or I'm just, mm, a, yeah. you know, um, eventually they're going to, I'm going to be exposed for not being who people have thought me to be or said I should be. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, and, and, and to be honest for me, it, 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 that lie sort of comes to the surface in places where I know, I, I know that my, my gifts aren't strong. Right. So for example, the the sort of organizational administrative aspects of pastoral ministry you know when i when i sit in those those leadership meetings and i'm i'm expected to bring that sort of leadership mm. those are the spaces that make me tremble because i'm like i'm getting ready to be exposed and everybody's going to look at me and say what are you doing interesting you know why are yeah. you here uh and uh, so it's been understanding that those are lies, uh, that has been crucial. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I mean, you're, you and when you're in a place like New York city, it's like people can just go on to the next place. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get caught up in the game of just trying to put on the, the, the next best show because there's always a better show in town in Manhattan. Yeah. Right? Oh man. And so it, it's like, it, this can't be about that. Mm. It cannot you know, to get caught in that lie and feeling that, that like they're just going to move on to something better. I'm not enough. Mm, mm. This isn't enough. Yeah. Um, is, yeah, yeah. The lies that I, <laughs> I would imagine that's a big stressor. I mean, I mean, gosh, some of the best shows in the world, I mean, religious or irreligious, right? I mean, you got Broadway there, you got some of the, some great churches already that are there. And yeah, I, I can imagine that would be a temptation that would, uh, that would exist. Uh, that would be ongoing. So, so where are you finding joy in what you're doing? Because we're talking about some of the downer stuff, but but what's giving you joy in this season? Not just on Sabbath, not just on Monday, but just life, ministry. Where are you finding joy these days? Yeah. Well, I often say when people ask me about this this season that this has been the most fun that I've ever had. Wow! Wow! That's great. That's great. Um, Tell us more. I think the gift of this of this season has been that I actually don't feel like I'm doing all that much in that sure. There's a lot happening, but what I feel like is I'm, I'm standing back and watch, watching God do a whole bunch of things mm, that I mm. could never strategize or plan for. Yeah. That's great. And, um, I mean, story, I mean, I could tell you stories of just, you know, walking, walking through the neighborhood and, mm-hmm. you know, talking to, talking to, talking to people who are just, you know, sitting on the bench and God showing up in those moments and, mm. you know, sort of just surprising you with what you find. But, and I think one of the greatest surprises is always God is already at work here. Mm. It's not, you know, I, I don't have the task of bringing, bringing Jesus to this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Jesus is here. Yeah. How do I have the eyes to see what's yeah. happening and joining in? And so as I've been able to see some of those things and mainly through the people that I've been encountering, mm-hmm. um, the people that God has been bringing to be a part of our community. Um, 
it's just incredible to, to be a part of. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, we had a, we had a show, we did it. So we don't, we don't do like a whole bunch of sort of outreach events and things. Um, that's sort of, it's, it's sort of just not our flow, but we did, we did one around Christmas time. Um, that honestly was just more birthed out of, out of relationship um, with relationship that we had building with this arts, this historic sort of art center in the neighborhood that's been around for many years and just getting to know the people there. And then a guy who, who had been coming to our, our church, who's, um, who's a jazz musician, um, just building a relationship with him. And, you know, decided, Hey, like, what if we, what if we just did something together where we, one of our values as a church is, is living beautifully. So what if we were just, what if we just did something beautiful in the neighborhood and invited the neighborhood into it? And so we talked to the art center about it. They were excited about it. Um, my friend who is this jazz musician, he got together some people and more than what we could have ever imagined of people, I mean, our daughters, our daughters, teachers were coming out, the crossing guards came out, but like, just people from the neighborhood just came and just sat and just were part of this holy experience. We called it Behold, um, where it was just, I, I can't really explain, it was a beautiful night of people from all different walks of life. I mean, from the dude that calls, that calls Tompkins Square Park his home to, you know, the Wall Street, the Wall Street banker, all in the same place, experiencing the presence of God. And the place was packed out. And I was like, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I couldn't have strategized for something like this. I couldn't have planned it out, but to sit back and watch God bring it together and to watch it be one, an answer to, you know, meeting a guy who's been working at this art center for years and has grown up in the neighborhood. And he said, I have been on my knees in this theater praying that God would use this space for his glory. You wow. guys are here. Wow. Like to see stuff like that happening is like, you know what? We're just joining in with God, what you've been already doing, God. And mm. this, this is life giving and this is joy. And it doesn't feel like I'm trying to force something to make it happen. And that, that for me, I think, is just that brings joy. Yeah, that's great. Also, too, just family has brought me a ton of joy in this season. Mm -hmm. My, uh, so my daughters are at a fun age where they are uh, four and a half years old, and <laughs> nothing. Like, I mean, everything, everything in life is just exciting to them. Everything is just so they slow me down a lot. Um, in a sense, when we're walking, we'll, we'll, you know, walking through the city or walking, walking into school, it's like they're not in a rush to get anywhere. Um, and they spot things and they, you know, pointed out this, this flower over here or this thing over here. And just, um, so just there's a being with them um, and just sort of watching them enjoy life has brought me joy. Mm. Um, having things awakened in them that, you know, they're just, they're discovering who they are and what gives them life. Mm. Um, and so watching that and walking alongside of them in that process has been bringing me life too. And uh, just a beautiful season of marriage right now. Like I, and when I, and I'm, I'm honest when I say this is that this, this season has been, not that it hasn't been hard, but it's just been good. Like mm. when so much around you has changed, but when you're able to look, you know, beside you at your wife and be like, this has been constant, you wow. know, we're in this. Uh, yeah. That's life. Yeah. You know? yeah. so, that's, that's great. Awesome. Drew, that's I, great. I just appreciate your heart, man. I, f I feel like every time I talk with you, I wish you were about a hundred miles closer because there's just this beautiful joy about the person you are. And it's interesting because my, my sense is there's a lot of pastors listening today that probably don't feel that sense of this is fun. Mm. And so just our last question, like what is one encouragement you want to leave pastors with 
as we close out this time that we have together? I think the encouragement that I would leave pastors is um, just the invitation that God is always giving at every moment to, to be present to the presence of God mm. is mm. I think when we as pastors can grab a hold of that invitation and learn in the midst of life, in the midst of ministry demands to simply be present mm. with God, to be at home in God and not to, not to allow ourselves to be caught up in the have tos and the should tos and the, the expectations. Um, I, I mean, there's no, that's, I, I think there's a reason why, why John 15 exists. You yeah. Know? yeah. Why that's one of the final words that Jesus gives his disciples before they're getting ready to one face the hardest thing they'll ever face and then be commissioned into ministry where he's, he's leaving. It's just, Hey, be at home in me, abide in me. I'm telling you things so that my joy will be in you and that your joy mm. will be full. Like mm-hmm. every pastor listening to this knows that, but the, but, but I think there's, there's a process by which that deepens in our soul, mm. you know? Um, and I think we have to go through things. We have to go through trying to abide in other places and in other things until we find that even ministry can't give me the joy that I would hope it gives. You know, mm. a successful church can't give me the joy that I would hope it gives. Um, and even a, a church that I feel like, what is happening here? I don't know what's going on. It's like the same invitation is there. Mm. Hey abide in me, just be Mm. at home in me. Mm. And that actually will transform the way that you even engage ministry. Mm. Um, When you are able to just be attentive to the presence of God, you know, I, I often go back to something that Eugene Peterson said um, when he talked about the, the primary vocation of the pastor And he said, you know, my vocation, my job is to keep the people attentive to God, Mm. you know? And so when I, when I recognize that, I'm like, how can I keep people attentive to God if I'm not attentive to God, if I'm not attentive to God's presence, you know? So, but grabbing hold of that is really, is really life and, and recognizing that like, the presence doesn't go anywhere. It's us. It's us that we, we try and run away from it. Mm. But then you think about Psalm 139, you know, Mm. Mm. where can I go from your presence? I can't, I can't go anywhere. Everywhere I turn, your presence is. And so their invitation is embrace it. Mm. Just let yourself fall into it and live there. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the, that's the encouragement is that like, no matter how your church is doing, no matter how you feel, the presence hasn't gone anywhere. That's good. That's good. Well, that's a good word. Thank you so much, Drew. We appreciate you being on with us and uh, blessings yeah, to you. Yeah. 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 Thanks for your ministry, Drew. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate yeah. you both. Wow, Jared, it was really great having Drew on the podcast with us today. And I sense there's so much for people to be unpacking and to thinking through in terms of what it looks like to rest well, what it looks like to enter Sabbath, especially for church planners, as I think he really is able to articulate well some mm. of those pressures yeah. that church planners specifically have. But can you give us some resources? Yeah. You know, you asked a, a question and he unpacked it a little bit. You know, what is your arc, the arc of your Sabbath? And so one of the resources we want to give our listeners here is to actually sit down and map out your emotional day, your, your Sabbath day. Um, you can do a a drawing kind of low to high, whatever, but when are you feeling 
lowest? When are you feeling like your tank is highest? And just see if you can create almost like a, not a bar graph, but just a line. What would it look like to map out what your Sabbath day looks like? And you may say, well, it's going to be up and down every hour. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But I think just at least being aware of it can be a great resource of just knowing where our emotional tank is and the arc of our Sabbath day as well. Number one. Number two, we talked, uh, we've talked on, on this uh, podcast about social media and how it can be good and it can also be destructive. Um, and one thing that's really helped me is something called stay focused. And uh, there's not an E at the end of focus. So it's like SD instead of SED. So mm. if you Google it, uh, stay focused. They're trying to be trendy and cool. Love those it. guys out in Silicon Valley. They're so cool. And uh, so if you, it's a free download and I've used it for the last year or so. It's been fantastic. Mm. And you can type in the amount of time that you want to be on certain websites. And so for Twitter and Facebook, I give myself 10 minutes a day and there's a counting clock. And then after 10 minutes, it like locks me out and it doesn't allow me back in until midnight, like, you know, 1201 the next day. And so it's been really great for me. So I don't end up like an hour later thinking like, why did I just watch my fourth uh, cat video here on YouTube and uh, or on Facebook? So dude, wait, I just have a picture of you watching cat videos now that I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> Sorry for you cat lovers out there. So yeah, that would be a great resource to just try it out. Doesn't have to be 10 minutes, yeah. but just to be mindful of our social media time every day that we spend on it. So stay focused, Google it. It's a free download on that. And then the third resource, which uh, Doug, you and I have soaked in the waters of John 15, one through Mm. eight, uh, many times over the last several years. And so what does it mean to abide is uh, I can think of no greater passage of abiding uh, or residing than in John 15, one through eight. And so, um, I just want to encourage you all uh, on this Monday or whatever Sabbath or, or even whatever day you're listening just to think about this idea of not striving or accomplishing or doing, but abiding mm. is where we start to eventually bear fruit. And so to hang out in John 15, one through eight. So those are three resources. Doug, what are a few questions that we can leave with our listeners before we go? Yeah, I really appreciated the metaphor that Drew used about sitting on uh, sitting by the river and watching boats go by. And so I guess the question that I think is important for us to wrestle with is what ships do we need to pay attention to and what ships do we need to let go? Mm, There's something about being able to name those that I feel is really important for us. Mm. And then the second one is what two or three adjectives uh, would you use to describe the current emotional state of who you are? Mm. And I think that's a great question for pastors and for kingdom leaders to sit with just there's, and you, you've mentioned it earlier in the, in this, in the resources, just that idea of being aware, how important it is to be aware of where we are. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Monday morning pastor podcast. Feel free to share this with other pastors and kingdom leaders. If that would be of encouragement to them, leave us a review or even drop us an email, but we leave you with this benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father be with you. And may the Holy Spirit come upon you and disturb you and trouble you and set before you an impossible task and dare you to do it until in your desperation you fall on your knees and remain there until he fills you with his power, which alone will enable you to do it. And then, but only then, May the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.